Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Justin Morissette and this is your Locked On Canucks for Wednesday, October 2nd. Oh, what a day it is. We are finally kicking off the regular season. Yes, hockey is back. Real hockey, not that exhibition junk that we watched for the last couple weeks here. Real, regular season hockey. Unfortunately, we won't get to watch it in Vancouver for another week. It will begin uh, this regular season in Edmonton against the Oilers. But we did learn yesterday that when hockey, of course, does return to Rogers Arena, it will be quite a day. The Canucks will be naming the 14th captain in franchise history that day, having revealed what their leadership group will look like for the 2019-20 season on Tuesday morning. Yes, four A's handed out, one C yet to come, and you have to think that one of these guys is going to be the one who will wear it. The four alternate captains this year are Chris Tanev, Alex Edler, Brandon Sutter, and Bo Horvat. And I don't, why are we beating around the bush here and acting like it's some big surprise, some secret who this is going to be? This has all the inevitability of a, a year-long pro wrestling program. This is Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, if you will. We all know what's going to happen. It's just been dragged out forever. And uh, will we finally please just rip the Band-Aid and get this thing over with? The pro wrestling analogy is apt as well because the team seems just determined to turn this into the biggest show possible for the fans. They could have easily just named Bo Horvat their captain yesterday. They could have named him their captain in camp last week. They want this reveal to go down in the building so that it is a moment for the fans more than it is you know, just a, a leadership thing on the team itself. They have built this perhaps into more than it is, and I'm not sure how I feel about that in the end. Ultimately, uh, captaincy means very little. I, I mean, it, it does and it doesn't. On the ice, it is, you know, your team's representative who speaks with the officials, conveys the opinion of the coaching staff to the on-ice crew uh, without perhaps the coach getting in hot water, speaks on behalf of his teammates, all that sort of thing. It is the proverbial figurehead of the franchise, the man who represents the team to the community and the NHL at large, your representative of what it means to be a Canuck. I suppose in that way, it is important. Ultimately, however, if you're a leader, you're going to lead on the ice whether you have a letter or not. You know, Elias Pettersson did not have a letter. He did not have a letter last year. He probably is not going to be given the C this year. Uh, Brock Besser does not have a letter. Troy Stetcher does not have a letter. We know, we are well acquainted with the fact that these are guys who are important parts of this leadership group. That is true regardless of whether they get an A or a C or whatever. Go out there and be yourself. Do everything that you can to help your team. Lead by example. Whether you have that acknowledgement on your jersey or not, it ultimately doesn't really matter. But making it into something big for the fans, making it into something big for the history of the franchise. I guess I understand that on some level. It just feels manufactured, I guess, on some level, especially when they're leaving it a secret, like we don't know who it's going to be. Come on, give me a break. We've known for the better part of the last year. Jim Benning came on Sportsnet 650 pretty early into last season and straight up revealed that Bo Horvat is going to be that guy. It's just a matter of time. And Maybe the coaching staff didn't want to put that weight on him in the immediate aftermath of Henrik and Daniel Sedin's retirement. Felt like there was enough going on, uh, enough tough questions probably going to be asked of the team last year that, that I think they knew from the outset wasn't going to be that great of a hockey team. 
Why put that weight? Why put that soul-crushing weight? And look, it was soul-crushing. If you look at how Henrik Sedin handled things like an absolute king, like uh, uh, you know, uh, somebody to really be proud of, somebody that Bo Horvat obviously looked up to an enormous amount as he kind of waited off in the wings just uh, taking notes studiously on how Henrik Sedin answered all of these questions. But they were not easy questions asked of Henrik Sedin over and over and over again, especially in his final seasons with the team. Asked basically night in and night out, why does this team stink? That's not an easy thing to face the music on each and every night. And if you can take that pressure off in a year where you don't necessarily think you're going to be that great, then that's probably a good thing for the team and for Bo Horvat's uh, mental health and well-being down the line. Let this guy enjoy himself. Let him enjoy being a part of this team. Let him enjoy coming to the rink and answering questions and talking to the media every day. Do not uh, perhaps put that burden of having to be accountable for why this team is what it is. This is going to be a team that's better than it was last year. I think we can all agree on that before the season begins. Whether or not it's going to make the playoffs, it's certainly a possibility that they will. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't put money on it. I don't think it's a probability that they will, but it's possible. And for the first time uh, in a couple of years, that is the case. I don't know that you could look at the team over the last couple of years unless you were an extreme optimist, which I have been at times, contrary to the idea that I am this negative Nelly who only wants to complain about everything. No, a couple of years back when Brock Besser burst on the scene, I had the belief that everything could go right, but that's always been that narrow margin, right? Everything has to go right for this team to sneak in. That's not necessarily the case this year. I mean, yes, things have to go right for them, but it's not like they need to play their best night in and night out to even have a chance. Could this team go through a stretch like last year where they just had a a, a no victory November, basically? I mean, I don't know that anyone can recover from that, but hey, we just saw the worst team in the NHL come New Year's Day go on to win the Stanley Cup, so I guess anything is possible. They have more talent available to them this year. They're going to be a better team, which means that the questions that are going to be asked of the captain and the media representatives are not going to be as heavy, as troublesome, as burdensome as they have been in the past, and maybe now is the perfect time to name a captain. Maybe this whole process makes a ton of sense when you put it in that light. I just think this whole thing has been an inevitability from day one. Travis Green has tipped his hand that it's Bo Horvat. Jim Benning has tipped his hand that it's Bo Horvat, maybe not this week, but certainly over the course of the last year. Just pull the friggin' Band-Aid at this point. Name Bo Horvat your captain, and let's get on with things. Uh, because ultimately, this doesn't make a difference. I don't even think it really matters that much to what Bo is going to do this season. Do you think he's just going to have like a monster year that he has to live up to this honor of having the seed bestowed upon him, that he's going to play so much better than he otherwise would have? I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think what we saw from Bo Horvat last year is the kind of player that he is who took that challenge and rose to another level regardless of whether or not he had the C. He played like the captain. He is the emotional heartbeat of this team. At the same time, I'm sure there's a lot of fans out there who are secretly hoping that it's going to be Elias Pettersson, that Pettersson is the one who uh, you know, rises to the top and takes that honor. He certainly is the best player on the team, and that has been, you know, uh, the way that teams have dealt with this in the past. That you know, the the top star, the 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 biggest difference maker on the club, 
is the guy who wears that letter. That was certainly the case when I think Marcus Nasland wore the C for the Canucks back in the day. That's been the case with other teams in the league. But then, again, you know, Gabriel Landeskog is the captain of the Colorado Avalanche, not Nathan McKinnon, not Miko Rantanen. And I don't know if Gabriel Landeskog is the emotional heartbeat of uh, that team, but Bo Horvat certainly is of the Canucks. Seems like a natural choice. This seems like something that has just been dragged on eternally, and I look forward to it finally being over when they name a new captain in front of the fans during the home opener. Now, the season opener goes down tonight in Edmonton. The game getting started at 7 p.m. Pacific, so I guess a late start in Edmonton is they're not going to get their local game going until 8 p.m. That's probably for television reasons uh, because that's how things shake out, of course. The East Coast game starts at 4. The West Coast game starts at 7. For us out here on the Pacific, and uh, no real lineup surprises for the Canucks coming into this one. Uh, Furlan lined up with Pedersen and Besser, as we all expected. Pearson, Horvat, and Miller is your second line. Levo, Sutter, and either Gaudette or Vertanen going to be the third line based on Tuesday's practice lines, and a fourth line of Schaller, Beagle, and either Vertanen or Erickson. So, distinct possibility that Jake Vertanen is going to be the 13th forward in this one. If you're wondering where that 14th forward is, it, I mean, it really is Louis Erickson, but, but the other guy is uh, Tyler Mott. He is going to be unavailable to the team for the next couple weeks, suffered uh, some sort of injury, an upper body injury, according to Travis Green, and that's really no big loss. Heck, if Jake Vertanen draws in over a guy like Tyler Mott, that might actually be a boost to the lineup. I don't want to kick Tyler Mott and throw stones at him all season long, but, I mean, he didn't really do much in training camp. At the same time, he's not alone in that group of guys who had weak training camps, weak preseasons, who really need to step up here as the regular season begins. And I kind of hinted at this yesterday, the idea that it's going to be an interesting early season for the Vancouver Canucks this year, in so much as this is really our first look at what this overall team looks like. They never once iced their full NHL opening night lineup in the preseason schedule at all. They had decisions to make, but we never even really got even a vague facsimile of what the opening night roster was going to look like in preseason, honestly. We didn't get a you know top three lines and then trying a bunch of guys out on the fourth. That's not how things really went. This is our first look, and maybe this team is going to take some time out the gate to really gel here. Uh, Edler and Myers on the back end, Hughes and Tanev, Ben and Stetcher are your pairings, and that is something that we did know, obviously, coming out of the uh, preseason, that that was going to be the way this defense shook down. For Troy Stetcher, another interesting start to the year, a guy who always seemingly works his way into the top four as the year goes on. I've, I get into this argument so many times. I've had it countless times over the last couple of years about what Troy Stetcher is. To me, he's a very capable number four on, an, on a very good contending team. I very much respect what he brings to the lineup. I think he has a lot more to offer this lineup, in fact, than a guy like Tyler Myers who really needs to get it together after a uh, preseason where where he truly looked like he did not care at all. And maybe that's the case for a number of veterans. They come in, they play these preseason games. It's utterly meaningless to them. But uh, I don't know, you know, when we are trying to get first impressions of a guy who had mixed reviews coming out of Winnipeg, 
about what he really is ultimately, if he's a guy who's going to get turnstiled consistently over the course of the regular season. He certainly looked like that in the preseason. If he can turn it on and flip that switch and play with some intensity, show some emotion, be a little bit more responsible in his own zone, that's a player that I would love to see over the course of the regular season. The guy who uh, really looked like almost uh, the defensive equivalent of a, of a Louis Erickson. Maybe not as bad as Erickson is now, but just the fact that this feels like a contract that's going to hover over this team over the next several years the way the Erickson deal does now. There's not a lot of signs from his preseason performances that point towards that not being the case, but at the same time, the preseason is the preseason. It's thrown out the window now. It means nothing. These are the games that count. These are the games where we judge what guys are. These are the games that we draw our opinions on, on what this team is going to be down the stretch. And I mentioned earlier that this could be a playoff team if everything goes right. I do feel like, I don't know. It, I, I really feel like what this team is this season is entirely dependent on what these kids can do the big four. You know exactly the ones I'm talking about: Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, and Hughes. And it's really the younger of those three, Hughes in particular. It's an exciting season because this is a, a year coming into the year where this team finally has ingredients in its 50th season that it has never had before. We have seen a number of very strong and a handful of even elite wingers on this team over the last 50 years. What we have never seen really outside of Henrik Sedin are upper echelon centers. And there's a handful of things, a small handful of things that almost every Stanley Cup winning team has, an elite number one center and an elite number one defenseman. The Canucks have never had really either of those two things save for Henrik Sedin. And when Henrik Sedin was an elite number one center, it's tough to even say who the best defenseman that he had with him uh, to fill out the second side of that equation was. Christian Erhoff or Alex Edler, take your pick. Neither of those guys, as good as they were, really have the high-end ceiling that Quinn Hughes could have a game-breaking defenseman unlike anything that this team has ever seen before. And to have those ingredients coming into the year, yes, that does mean that this is an exciting season. That does mean that this team is going to be a treat to watch. That does mean that the flashes of excellence that we saw last year, whether it was in the 7-6 victory over the Colorado Avalanche all the way back at the beginning of November, which in my opinion was the best game played in the entire NHL last season, uh, flashes there, of course, flashes of brilliance during the final five games of the regular season when we got to see something tantalizing that fans had been wanting to see for really ever since Quinn Hughes was drafted. The idea of putting out a trio in three-on-three overtime of Hughes, Pedersen, and Besser, we got to see that as well. What a treat that was. All of these tantalizing flashes that we saw last year on a team that kind of crumpled down the stretch, uh, a team where the rookies hit the wall, as rookie players often do. I don't think um, the hand-wringing and analysis that goes on around Elias Pettersson's rookie season and the way he performed after the All-Star break relative to before it means a whole heck of a lot when you look at the way his body has evolved coming into this year. He looks taller than he was last season. He looks beefier than he was last season. We saw it even in exhibition play. 
and I know I just said exhibition play means nothing, but this is one area where it did mean something. Strength on the puck and strength and awareness on the ice to not only shield himself from an oncoming check, but push backwards into the hit before it came and kind of do the the Peter Forsberg reverse check, knock the guy over who's trying to come at you. So if Pedersen has the strength and awareness to do those kinds of things this year, I have all sorts of reason to believe that he is going to exceed what he did last season and have one heck of a sophomore year this year. And that would be something that could drive this team towards playoff contention. Again, I would put their chances of making the postseason this year at about maybe 40%. I just don't think that their back end is strong enough. I don't think that their bottom six has improved enough necessarily to get them into the postseason. At the same time, there's teams that were in the playoffs last year in the Western Conference who are probably going to fall out. So who knows what's going to happen? That's why they're going to play the games, and we're going to see those games played later on this evening. Another big question mark coming into the year, of course, Jacob Markstrom. What's he going to be? Is he going to be the player who put it together in the back half of the year last year, down the last two-thirds of the season? Or is he going to be that guy in the first third who struggled a little bit to start the year? Tough to say. He was adjusting to a brand-new style last year as he was being coached by Ian Clark. If Clark can get him back to what he was late in the year last year to start this year, again, that helps the Canucks' playoff chances. And the fact that we get to talk about playoff chances at all, oh, what a relief. There's so many reliefs coming into this year. Just the fact, look, I know I just poked some holes and question marks uh, in that defense. Said Tyler Myers has to be better. Tyler Myers has to show more than he has so far. No matter what Tyler Myers is this year, the fact that I'm not coming into a season, having to pull my hair out talking about Eric Goodbranson for another year. Oh, every single tweet and report that I see coming out of Pittsburgh about Eric Goodbranson playing on a Jack Johnson pairing. It's like a wave of relief just rolls over my entire body that I don't have to worry about that, that that's not my problem anymore, that Vancouver can just move on with their lives and not have this guy dragging this team down because no matter what Tyler Myers is, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I think anybody would be happier coming into this season with Tanner Pearson and Tyler Myers, two guys who admittedly had underwhelming preseasons, than a single Eric Goodbranson. Certainly that's true for me. Now on the other side of the equation, the Oilers practiced on Tuesday as well. And if I've got some gripes about the Canucks roster coming into the season, oh, I can only imagine how I would feel if I was an Edmonton Oilers fan. Do you remember a couple years ago? It wasn't that long ago that the Oilers made the playoffs. They knocked off the Sharks in the opening round. They got the Ducks in the second round. And it looked like, oh boy, this team is poised to be a real contender over the course of the next several seasons. This is a team that looks like it is on the cusp of being a decades-long dominant threat that will win multiple Stanley Cups. And then, I mean, Peter Shirelli just uh, absolutely decimated that team. They haven't recovered. And it looks like they aren't going to for a very long time. If I'm looking at this roster right now, and comparing it to the one that the Canucks are going to ice opposite uh, later tonight. I would say the Canucks are easily the better team in the long run right now, and the Canucks are probably going to make the playoffs before the Oilers do again. So we have that going for us, I guess, because look at what they are doing with their top line. Practicing for the Oilers on Tuesday as line number one was uh, Connor McDavid, of course, 
centering James Neal and Joachim Nygaard, who wasn't even in the NHL last season. Nygaard, a 26-year-old free agent, uh, signed out of the Swedish League. He's coming over, uh, having never played an NHL game before, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, James Neal, of course, was terrible for the Calgary Flames last season. Really never clicked at all in Calgary after being a relatively productive, at least decent second-line scoring winger for the Las Vegas Golden Knights the year previous. So maybe he can recapture that magic, but at the moment, the Oilers are coming into the year with McDavid centering two wingers who combined for seven goals in the NHL last season, and that is the best scoring line that they can put together. On line number two, it's Leon Dreisaitl flanking Ryan Nugent Hopkins at center and Zach Cassian. On the right wing there, yes, former Canucks Zach Cassian. Not only still kicking around, but kicking around in a top six role. And I always liked Zach Cassian. I was uh, upset when the Canucks got rid of him in the great purge of personality that one offseason where they got rid of Kevin Bieksa, Zach Cassian, and Eddie Lack all in a row. Like all of the most lovable players on the team who provided any sort of entertainment value as personalities on a team that was uh, not very good on the ice at the time. I thought that that was, you know, probably a mistake, and ultimately that proved to be correct, considering what Brandon Prest proved to be for this team in the long run. But even with my affection for Zach Cassian, we're talking about a player who scored 15 goals and 26 points last year. That is a top six option for the Edmonton Oilers right now, right coming into the season to start the year at a time when the Vancouver Canucks couldn't even find a place on their roster for Sven Berchi. So uh, you look at what, what the Oilers have in the top six and all that hand-wringing about you know whatever the Canucks are going to do about their forward situation uh, doesn't feel so bad. At least we're not Edmonton, I guess, is the, the message that I'm trying to get across because they got a sea of Granlins in their bottom six right now, including Granlin himself, Marcus Granlin on the third line for the Oilers. My goodness, this team is terrible. They're just awful. Even between the pipes, Mike Smith has stolen the starting job from Miko Koskinen after Koskinen's costly contract extension late in the year last year, which was the final straw before Chiarelli got fired. Smith and Koskinen both got from the preseason games I saw, certainly the preseason games that the Canucks played against the Oilers, those two guys both got badly outplayed by the junior and AHL goaltending options. And yet, it is the two guys on one-way deals who start the year, which again goes to show you that the preseason counts for nothing. Uh, performances uh, that uh, are better than what the vets are doing at the time don't go noticed, I suppose. Or really, the teams who have inked these one-way deals, it's the exact same thing we're seeing playing out with Louis Erickson. What are the Canucks going to do with five guys on two-way contracts come in and outplay Louis Erickson? There's really nothing they can do. I mean, even... Tyler Grauvac, or however you say that guy's name. <laughs> Grau Grauvac? Gravich? Who knows? Uh, I've heard him talk. I've heard his name multiple times, and yet every time I read it, I'm like, what? That's a lot of vowels. What's going on there? Anyways, like that guy probably outplayed Louis Erickson, but what can the Canucks do? There's no getting rid of Louis Erickson. And in the same sense for the Oilers, there's no getting rid of Miko Koskinen. This is a deal that uh, was regrettable from the moment it was signed, and what can you do? But. Uh, when I look at this lineup and, you know, Adam Larson and Darnell Nurse as the top defensive pairing, Clefbaum, Bear, Russell, Benning, this is all 
the whole lineup for the Oilers is bad. It's very, very bad. And if the Canucks don't win tonight, that's probably bad too. Like I said, the, whatever the result is this evening, it's not indicative of what this team is going to do down the season, down the line, because this is still a team that needs to gel. This is still a team that needs to find consistent chemistry. This is still a team who's really third and fourth lines never got to play together at all at any point throughout the preseason, uh, whether it's uh, Levo, Sutter, and Gaudette, or wherever Vertanen draws in. Like Schaller and Beagle had pretty solid chemistry, but I, you know, this is a team that's going to need some time. And Jacob Markstrom, as I mentioned earlier, probably going to need some time as well. So if they lose tonight, it's not the end of the world. It's not what this team is uh, going to look like for the rest of the year. They certainly uh, have the pieces to really come together and play spectacularly well down the stretch as the year goes on. But when you look at the way that the Oilers are put together across from them, man, it's going to be hard to take a loss on opening night. It really is. So, I don't know. I look at this defense. Look at that forward depth. Obviously, McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Leon Dreisaitl, these are all great players. Darnell Nurse, very good as well. Uh, but when I look at the way this team is put together, I would think that this is a, a team that is ripe for taking advantage of, specifically on special teams. And if the Canucks are going to be a contender this year, and when I say contender, I do not mean for the Stanley Cup. I just mean a threat to make the playoffs. Their special teams have to be better. That starts with the power play. And Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson really are a lethal combination there. Even though they're going to start on opposite units, it was Edler who was manning the points on power play number one in practice yesterday. Hughes on PP2. Uh, even if they are going to start the year apart, the fact that those are two guys that you can put out on the power play who have the creativity to do all kinds of things, the fact that you have a healthy Brock Besser on the opposite half-board wall from Pettersson to not allow defenses to just key in on whatever EP is going to do, this is a sign that this is a power play that's really going to work this year, and they should be able to make quick work of the Oilers' penalty killers because, I mean, what? What's Marcus Grandlin going to do to Elias Pettersson? Honestly, what's he going to do? Uh, he's going to get torched. That's what he's going to do. So I'm going to go out on a limb, make a little prediction here, and hope that the Canucks are going to win this season opener and that uh, the kids are going to look great in the process. That would give us something to talk about, something that I can put – uh, a happy face on for if they lose though it's not doom and gloom this is early going and this is kind of still feeling your way out of camp feeling your way out of the preseason for a team that had a ton of question marks that didn't get answered until yesterday one final note before we wrap up here of course Sven Berchi, Nikolai Goldobin and Alex Biega all cleared waivers so uh, maybe the hand wringing all for naught I still maintain what I said yesterday which is that was a discussion and argument and fight that was about process and decision making and ideology and philosophy more than it was a concern that someone was going to claim Sven Berchi though at the same time I am a little bit minutely minorly surprised that nobody did everybody from the Canucks made it through so hopefully Sven Berchi we'll see you before too long here bud and I'll talk to you before too long as well enjoy tonight's game enjoy the very beginning of regular season hockey here for the Vancouver Canucks in the 2019-20 season. And I'll be back to break it all down with you tomorrow on the Locked On Canucks podcast.